Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From MCIE. I know whether or not you are heading toward inclusiveness by how often you use the word. If you are a school that talks about the third grade inclusion class or the seventh grade inclusion team or high school, English does inclusion, math doesn't. I don't know what it means to do inclusion, I have to tell you. I think we do lunch. Hello and welcome to season eight, episode 11 of the Think Inclusive podcast presented by MCIE. I'm your host, Tim Viegas. Guess what, y'all? This is the final episode of Season 8. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for a preview of Season 9 starting in August. This podcast features conversations and commentary with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. Think Inclusive exists to build bridges between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusion for all students. That's right, y'all. All means all. To find out more about who we are and what we do, go to thinkinclusive.us, the official blog of MCIE, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, today on the podcast, we talk with Marilyn Friend, renowned expert and author of numerous books and articles on co-teaching. We discuss what is co-teaching and what does it look like? Do schools have to provide a co-teaching service model? And how does co-teaching further the practice of inclusive education? But first, last time on the podcast, we asked you what your biggest challenge to advocating for inclusive education was. And we had a ton of great responses. And so here are some of the ones that stood out. General education teachers needing behavior support. The exceedingly slow pace of systemic change. Authentic buy-in from general education. This one was, being the mom, I'm not taken seriously. I feel the eye rolls. No support from administration. 
lack of training in current research, just being heard, funds or financial limitations, ableism, the pressure to prove something just to be included, unaddressed biases towards people with disabilities, lack of individual or shared support for children who need more, other parents of peers who do not understand what inclusive education is. I hope that was helpful for you to hear. If you are advocating for inclusive education and you are running into challenges like the ones we highlighted, you are not alone. Thanks for listening to the Think Inclusive podcast. We are so glad you're here. After the break, our interview with Marilyn Friend. Why don't we start off by asking what exactly is co-teaching? That's a great place to start because you're right. There's a lot of misunderstanding about co-teaching. I ask professionals that question every time I'm going to do you know, some work on this topic. And I'll say, what is co-teaching? Just jot down a phrase. And invariably, the answer is collaboration, teamwork, partnership, which sounds really nice. The problem is that's what I call co-teach 1.0. It puts the emphasis on the grown-ups, and it says, you know, if we like each other, if we get along, then we'll work together in the classroom. Contemporary co-teaching is different. The definition of co-teaching is that it is a service delivery option. It is a mechanism through which students with disabilities receive the special services to which they are entitled. That's a very different starting point. We're starting with looking at what students need, which is where we should start. It also clarifies that two adults in a classroom is not necessarily called co-teaching. If it's two general education teachers, two classroom teachers, which in some places it is, that's usually called team teaching, a little bit different. If it is a teacher and a paraprofessional or a paraeducator, that's called classroom support. Because even when paras are wonderful people and do great work, they are not in the classroom as a peer to the classroom teacher. And it's not appropriate to call it co-teaching. So there are a lot of little ins and outs on this. So it's a service delivery option Two people with equivalent licensure, one a specialist, usually a special ed teacher, sometimes a teacher of kids learning English or another specialist. They're pooling their responsibilities, pooling accountability, sharing one physical space to ensure that all students receive their education. So you, you said it's a option, mm-hmm. but if it's an option, then it sounds to me that schools don't have to provide this option as a service delivery as in, in their service delivery. You're right about that. 
And what you'll find is that if you go read front to back, first word to last word, federal special ed law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, what you'll find is that co-teaching is not mentioned in any way, shape, or form. Pretty much most professionals know there's a continuum of alternative placements, general ed, resource, self-contained, et cetera, et cetera. Sadly, those were written when the law was first implemented, which has been late 1970s for full implementation. And so the law is actually a little bit dated. Co-teaching was not part of that. And typically placement was associated with intensity of need. And so there is no mention in federal law. Someone asked me not too long ago, well, okay, so it's not in federal law, but what about states? And so I contacted representatives from a number of large states where I know they are very supportive of co-teaching and it is a recommended practice. And I was told that because federal law doesn't require it, neither do states. And so even if there are guidance documents and it's encouraged and state, rep, state um, um, folks do professional development, it is not required. And so sadly, it does not exist everywhere. And there are still some places that think it is, quote unquote, easier to just take, quote unquote, those kids somewhere else, which is sort of that old fashioned, the way we address student needs is to fix them somewhere else. How does co-teaching further the goal of worldwide inclusive practices? We talked about, you know, the law in the United States, um, (laughs) but what about worldwide? Co-teaching, when and where it is implemented. And by the way, a little aside, there is considerable interest in a lot of parts of the world related to co-teaching just as part of the more general push toward inclusive practices, birth to death, you know, this is just the education version of it. Um, But what you get in terms of inclusiveness are the three educational pieces that have to be in place. First, you get physical integration. It's very hard to be inclusive if there's not simply the physical integration of students. If some students are in a different place, they are not part of the learning community. That's the first part. The second piece is social integration. If students are not in classrooms with their peers, it's very difficult for them to have friendships, for them to interact, for them to learn appropriate interaction skills if they don't have them, for other students to learn appropriate interaction skills. And so co-teaching creates an opportunity for social integration. Third, and most importantly, it creates an opportunity any place it's done for instructional integration. And it ensures that learning, first of all, that learning is occurring, that it is learning that is, I'll say this at the risk of offending some people, potentially a little more rigorous because it is what is expected of all students. And it's not something that is shaded by what is going on somewhere else. It is being embedded in the learning opportunities of that classroom with the specialized instruction embedded as well, so that it also reduces the need for students to generalize. Anybody who's ever worked with students with disabilities knows the problem. Something is taught in a separate setting. 
And then the student is somehow by magic supposed to make it understand it and transfer it into a general ed setting and it doesn't happen. Well, if you think about inclusive education for the educational environment, co-teaching provides all kinds of access plus the rigor. And for the US, of course, it also meets LRE requirements. It has a lot of potential and when implemented well, it of course accomplishes what's most important, which is spectacular outcomes for students. You, in your opinion, what prevents us from really being a truly inclusive society? I'll try to address that without sounding too much like an academic. Okay. I have a fairly strong grounding in social psychology. And so that's my lens. It's not that I think this is the only way to think about the challenges and how come we're not an inclusive society, but it's one way. You know, if you go back to older works like Howard Becker's Outsiders dealing with criminals, it's the notion of people, society, not, not necessarily individuals. Society wants to know who's them to know that they're not us. And there is this rather gigantic systemic need to feel reassured by being able to paint a line between us and them. Now, this applies in a lot of things. Yes, Howard Becker's work started with criminality, but it also has to do with race, it has to do with culture, and it has to do with disability. And until we can figure out ways to tackle that deep need to know, to be reassured by making sure that others are them, not us, I think it's a very, very tough issue. And I think that we do that, of course, by working on the education system, because the more that we can teach children from the day they enter school, that we're one, that it is about diversity. We are not trying to paint lines between groups. I think we'll have some progress, but it's going to be slow. It's been a very long, long, long journey. And I think that's true, not just in the US. I think that's true in a lot of places. And like I said, I know that's not the only way to think about it, but if you think about schools and you think about how people respond to kids, you know, what do we do? We put a label on a student and anyone who's really honest will say, the chances are that once a student has a label, it is not inevitable, but close to it, that expectations are different, that there is a percent not all by any means, but a percent of classroom teachers who will say, it's the kid, it's not me, and make other comments that really are doing that dividing. Hmm. Until we're willing to have those critical conversations, and it's, it's pervasive. Uh, as a faculty member once, we were talking, the department chairs, I was a department chair, we're talking about diversity. And the comment was all about race and the comments were all about race and culture. Well, I was chair of the department that included special ed. And so I said, you know, this conversation is not complete because you're making decisions and excluding an entire group of individuals who are rather a substantial group of people. And the answer was, well, that's not the same thing. That's not really as important. 
whoa. Sorry, that's not a very optimistic thing to say, but it's realistic. And I don't think it's that unusual. Let's talk a little bit about the models of co-teaching because that's another thing I think that gets misunderstood. Um, can you talk about, you know, when you think about co-teaching, a lot of people think about one, you know, uh, one teach, one assist, right? So could you address that? And then what, what other kinds of co-teaching are there? In co-teaching world, and this has evolved gradually, um, at the very early stages of co-teaching, the models were not clearly articulated. Since then, they've been clearly articulated, and now they are distinguished by frequency of use and variations. So the six basic approaches are one teach, one observe. That's one teacher with the kids. The other teacher is gathering data, which is sometimes necessary. Second one is called station teaching. The most common model, although there are many, is students are in three groups, sometimes heterogeneous, sometimes skills. Both teachers are working with kids. There is an independent group, often technology-based students working on tailored work, and the students rotate from group to group or the teachers go group to group. In the very fundamental model, all the students interact with both teachers and do the independent work. But again, that one has z just zillions of ways to do it, lots of options. The third approach is called parallel teaching. Students in two groups, sometimes heterogeneous, sometimes skill grouped, but never high half, low half. Ooh, that's a recipe for disaster. And the two teachers are doing essentially the same instruction, but perhaps with different materials or at different levels of complexity, they don't switch groups. Two groups, we don't switch. Fourth, alternative teaching. Most students are doing one activity. There is a smaller group pulled to the side for a reason. It could be review, it could be remediation, it could be enrichment. It could be the students who were absent for four days. And so that small group changes. Uh, the rules of thumb are vary which teacher takes it, vary the purpose of it, vary which students are in it. And then it can be very effective. Fifth approach is called teaming. Teaming is the two teachers together in front of the whole group of students. Last one is one teach, one assist. It's the one you mentioned. One teach, one assist is where one person, almost always the general educator, is leading the class. The other person is doing what I facetiously call kid whisperer and walking around talking to individual students, trying to keep students focused. Or sometimes people will try to justify it by saying, well, we take turns leading. I lead one day, my partner leads the other day. And of course, then I ask the question, why are we paying two salaries for that? But that's me being a little abrupt. Now, the way this has evolved, that's where we started. And the six approaches, the six structures are still there. But now we distinguish high use, low, limited use. High use, stations, that three group rotation. Parallel, two groups, each of us working. Alternative, larger group, smaller group. All three of those are really critical because both people have active teaching roles. 
The whole point of this is intentional increased instructional intensity. How about that? The four eyes. Mm -hmm. And we get that by having both people teaching. Limited use. Some people are surprised. Teaming is limited use. Long time ago, and some people were trained this way. They were told that that was the epitome of co-teaching. One brain, two bodies bouncing off of each other. I really do talk with administrators about this, that you can't really pay two salaries to have one lesson delivered. And that the whole purpose of this is kids in groups. And then the other two, one teach, one observe, it's fine, it needs to happen, but it's limited. You know, how much time do we need to do that? More beginning of the year, more with a student with a problem, more with a student on a behavior plan. And one teach, one assist. In my perfect world, it would be under 10% of co-teaching, even though research still finds that it is most commonly used and least effective. So those are the basics. Now, if we had three days, I would start doing variations on them. And the trick to all of this is to help people understand that we want two people teaching. Rule of thumb is two thirds to three quarters of all co-teaching time should be with students in small groups because then you get value from both people. Then you have ways to put students in groups to address those special needs. And the more they're in whole group, the less likely that is to happen. That means we have to change some habits. In some places, teachers will say, oh, we do the instruction first, then we put them in groups. And so, of course, half the time they never get to the groups because the instruction takes too long. It's also kind of like, okay, so who said you have to do it in that order? Why can't we do the instruction in a small group while the other group does a review or does skill work, specific skill work? We don't have to do a whole group lesson first. That takes some convincing sometimes. I wonder if you've ever heard someone say special education teachers should only be teaching special education students. What I really would never want to see is an arrangement where two teachers in a classroom, but someone has said, and this does happen once in a while, the special educator only works with kids with IEPs. What a waste, what a travesty, how insulting could we be to students and to teachers? Now, I wanna say there's an adult version of this. For the adults, there is something called role reciprocity. Don't you love it? I have a whole vocabulary around all of this. Role reciprocity says, you're the general ed expert and I'm the special ed expert, but as a special ed person, I'm going to learn curriculum from you so that I can help deliver it. As a general ed teacher, you're going to learn some of the specialized techniques from me so that you can help deliver them. So we expect both teachers all in working with everybody in the classroom some students will benefit because of the specialized techniques that come there. What's not okay, I'm going one step past your example, is this. Once in a while, you'll hear co-teachers say, oh, Marilyn, we have so many kids with so many problems. We do everything for everybody. Well, if we're doing that, I'm going to put on my little advocate hat and I'm going to come in and say, well, that's really nice, but this student has this little thing called an IEP. And that means this student is entitled to something that goes beyond what everybody gets. What is that? And there has, there has to be an answer to that because special ed is not doing everything for everybody. There's an indication that the student needs something value added in addition. And it can be worked out, 
You know, we, we teach um, an acronym-based strategy to a group of students any age, slap it on an anchor chart, put it on the wall and point at it. Well, for students with IEPs, we break it down and we do systematic instruction across three weeks. We practice it, we memorize it, we apply it incrementally. It can be the same strategy, but it was taught completely differently. Then we're in the clear, but I don't find a lot of people draw those distinctions. And people really should be careful because if it's done for everybody, it's not really specially designed instruction. Why don't you tell us maybe some, I know you, I know you have a, a large um, number of books and in, in articles and stuff like that, but is there anything in particular, if someone was listening to this conversation and said, I would really like to know more, um, maybe something that uh, Marilyn's written, can you recommend a book to somebody? Um, yeah. Um, you don't want the textbooks because they're too expensive for, for most people. But I do uh, self-publish a book called Co-Teach. And it is all about co-teaching. It's a teacher-friendly book. It has activities at the end of it. And the place to find the order form for that is co-teach.com. No hyphen. No hyphen. Or my email address, I'll give it because everybody knows it. It's Friend at MarilynFriend.com. It's really hard. And I can send that to you. If you are beyond the basics and you want to know more about the instruction that teachers do, another book that I do is called um, Specially Designed Instruction for Co-Teaching. And that the books are complementary. The first one, all the chapters are about co-teaching except one about instruction. The other book, all the chapters are about instruction except one on co-teaching. So they're, they're mirror books, depending on the audience. And again, they're both on the order form. So if people are interested, I'm happy to you know, share that information with them. And that was done because I thought we needed practitioner books, not textbooks on this topic, partly because the cost is much less and um, the language can be a little friendlier and the examples can fit more real people. Well, Marilyn, friend, um, again, thank you so much for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. That will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive podcast. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you are listening. Thank you to patrons Pamela P, Veronica E, Kathleen T, Mark C, Sarah C, Kathy B, and Sonia A for their continued support of the podcast. Like I said at the beginning of the show, this is the last episode of season eight. And next month, we will officially be going to two episodes a month with some special bonus episodes and mini series podcasts in the works. So to close out this season of the Think Inclusive podcast, I wanted to bring on Kayla Kingston, MCIE's communications specialist, to tell you what we have in store for next season starting in August. Kayla has been working behind the scenes with editing, as well as communicating with our podcast guests. Kayla, what are some guests and topics people can look forward to for season nine? Thanks, Tim. And hello, everyone. I'm usually the one scheduling guests taking notes during the interviews, and helping Tim edit the podcast. But today, I'm here to tell you all about the fantastic interviews and content we are producing for you starting in August. 
great. Let's hear it. Well, for our first podcast in August, we have author Eric Garcia, who wrote the book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. It's a unique combination of reporting and memoir where Eric shares stories of his life as an autistic person, as well as interviews with all types of autistic people across America. Yeah, that was a fun interview, and uh, I'm going to really try to fit his list of top five albums into the episode. Uh, Music is a huge part of Eric's life, and for the titles of his book chapters, he uses song titles. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I loved it. And then in September, we have another author who happens to be a Think Inclusive alum, Emily Ladau. We interview her about her new book, Demystifying Disability. I really enjoyed how she uses a conversational style to communicate topics like ableism, disability etiquette, and how to speak out against disability stereotypes in the media. Yes, uh, can't wait for us to publish that one. And uh, in case you're wondering about bonus and miniseries episodes at the end of the year, we'll still plan on having another best of episode, as well as some current event podcasts throughout season nine. Uh, what a what I'm also really excited about is the mini series podcasts uh, that we have in the works right now. There's three of them. One is on critical race theory, another on self-determination for secondary students, and finally one on the history of inclusive education. Yes, it is definitely going to be a great season. Well, thanks, Kayla. Thanks for all your work with editing and producing this season of the podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. No problem. All right, this podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. From everyone at MCIE, thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.